I need that. Well, the reason I uh, start off with saying about that motto, a high view of God, is that that's what John Flavel deals with with that book that he wrote called The Mystery of Providence. And last week we uh, touched on a book uh, that he had called Keeping the Heart. So we're kind of doing a book study, but it's really a Bible study because we're just really going to be dealing with uh, the Scriptures, dealing with the uh, providence of God. And it's incredible how He works His patchwork, every detail as He uh, is putting this together. And so um been kind of uh, dealing with John Flavel, that Puritan, and um, really rich writing, and I hope that uh, gives us a blessing. And just taking a hiatus for a few weeks here, and then we'll uh, decide on what we want to get started on uh, as far as a new book study. But at this moment, we'll um, go into this grand high doctrine of providence. I have a little quote right at the top of your outlines there, I think. should be, hopefully. And this is something like what we read last week. All the dark, intricate, puzzling providences at which we were sometimes so offended and sometimes amazed, which we could neither reconcile with the promise nor with each other, nay, which we so unjustly censored and bitterly bewailed as if they had fallen out quite against our happiness. We shall see then to be to us as the difficult passage through the wilderness was to Israel the right way to a city of habitation. And so it is. That's, that's where we're at. We're on the journey. We are on the right path. We are on the way to the city of habitation. And um, so Flavel has a way of putting words together. And I thought that was really rich and uh, a treasure there in itself. And so as we uh, as we look at this tonight, I think we'll find the Most High God performing all things for poor, distressed creatures as us. There is the High God, and as low as we are, He's doing everything for us. Is that incredible? Let's pray. Father, thank You for who You are. You are the treasure. Thank You for the Son who You've sent, who You have given to us an amazing bunch of riches that we couldn't trade for anything. And we have Him for eternity. And oh, for the day that we will see Him face to face. But until that time, you are working in each one of our lives. You are doing the grand design. And thank you, Lord, for doing that. And however it may be, and however you're doing it on each each one, we know it is for your glory. It's for our good, your glory, it's by your grace. In your Son's name, amen. I want you to turn to Psalm 57 too. Hey, thank you guys once again for doing a couple songs there. Had some powerful lyrics to it. Modern day songs. Matt Papa, I would say he's a psalm writer in some senses. He takes straight straight from scripture. They look really familiar and hear it sound familiar, don't they? In Psalm fifty seven two, I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. Claim that, guys. That's just, I will cry to God Most High. That's our theme verse tonight. We're going to be hitting on a lot of scriptures. But this is our theme verse. I will cry to God Most High, to God who accomplishes all things. He's going to accomplish it. He's going to bring it to perfection. And it's for me. And you can say that. It's for me. I love that. That was from the psalm writer, but that's for all of us. ESV says, who fulfills his purpose for me. Mm. He's fulfilling his purpose for me. You guys like that? I will cry to God most high unto God that performs all things for me. His purpose and such. Now, 
the uh, context of this Psalm 57 is the fact that as David is uh, who wrote this, and he says it's for the choir director, so it was put in song. But the story is that he's in a cave, and it's a cave that uh, he's not just doing spelunking. <laughs> he is not having a good time in this cave. He's hiding out in humility with uh, some of these other people that were with him. It's a time of extreme danger, guys. I mean, his life is this close to death. Only it's not in God's purpose <laughs> to um, to have him killed here. So as you look at the title of this psalm, and I think you probably have that before you get into verse 1, where it says, Mictum of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Do you have that? Do you guys have that right underneath your Psalm 57? Yeah. Um, and so that's not a note there, like out of a study Bible. Now, my study Bible has one prayer for rescue from persecutors. <laughs> so, you know, but that's the context of where we're at. So the, the title of this Psalm is, it shows that it's composed by him and he hid himself from Saul in the cave. The cave is in the wilderness of En Gedi, uh, way down south Israel. You have broken rocks, wild goats living there. This is where it's a it's an obscure place. It's a desolate place. That's where David is is hanging here uh, in a desolate hole, hole in the ground cave. And we know we have Saul pursuing him as so often as he did. Matter of fact, Saul is even going to go into the into the cave himself. He doesn't just have his men there hunting him down. A lot of men, but he's there too. So he's being hunted down like uh, Flavel said, a partridge upon the mountains as he seems to be enclosed in a net. You know, it doesn't look like there's much hope. All the enemies are outside the cave and there's no outlet. There's no way else to get out of this cave. So the enemies are just waiting. Saul enters himself into the mouth of this cave and... David and his men are are hiding, and they actually see him. They actually see Saul. What an extremity this is. This is a desperate state of things because what chance do you have with just you and a few men against the army of Saul? And uh, there's a there's a verse four that says, "My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire." Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows. <laughs> you know, this is some literal senses here. You know, I mean, as he puts it to poetry, what hope is remaining here? You know, what you know, destruction looks like it's on its way. What chance does he have? And so he addresses God, and uh, he's in the jaws of death almost. That's that's the way he's feeling. So he prays earnestly. And he dresses himself to God for mercy. Look at verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious. Or, I think some of your translations might have mercy. Be gracious. Have mercy. For my soul takes refuge in you and in the shadow of your wings. You guys remember that line? We sing a song that has that. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. Then he says, I will cry to God Most High, to God who accomplishes all things for me. So there he is. He's addressing God, mercy, mercy, or grace. Be gracious to me. Nothing but mercy here. That's the only thing that can save him and he's ruined. So when you cry out to God, we know that there's no other hope to him than him. You cry out to him, knowing that that's where it's at. And David then sends out a plea. It's like, uh, here are the arguments as David pleads to God. First, he pleads his reliance upon God, how he relies on Him. Uh, Be merciful to me, right? Oh God, be merciful. Be gracious. So this is his trust. This is his dependence upon this great God as he says, you can be merciful. You are a merciful God. We're, and we're seeing attributes of God just in this prayer, aren't we? How great He is. 
So, and, and this is not having a dependence or faith in our own faith, but the dependence and the faith is in the object himself, not from the the act itself, but from the one, the, this very nature of God. That's what it is, the nature of the object, a, a compassionate God. The, the object is God here. So the focus is on Him, not on how much, if I can only muster up enough faith here, enough belief, then this can happen. And if I don't have enough, then I won't get that. No, that's, that's, that's not faith. That's not the faith that you find in Scripture. And David is saying, I believe in God. Believe in God. He's believing in Him. Shelter, uh, take shelter under His wings. And so he's, he's assured because he knows the promises and he knows that he has to fly to Him. And then in Isaiah 26.3, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Thee because he trusteth in Thee. Perfect peace we have our mind kept on Him and trust in Him. And, of course, Isaiah is so right. So David, as he's writing this, he's encouraging himself. He's considering God in whom he trusts. So, he pleads former experiences. He knows what God has done before many times. And he's in distress here. He cries out. This is not too foreign than what you and I have done throughout our Christian walks. How many times have we had no hope in certain issues and we just cried out to Him? Have you guys been there? If you're a Christian, you have. <laughs> now, there's a duty. And the duty is is found in verse 2 here. I'll cry out. An expression here, as far as the Hebrew, it's very intense. It's fervent may not be audible because if he says anything he's going to be heard but as he's speaking to God here he's crying out with a holy passion so that's the the, the duty there we are we are to go to God in prayer and really meaning it coming out with a, a expression then there's the encouragement and that's found in the second line of that verse to God who accomplishes all things for me David knew quite a bit. Being inspired here by God, but yet he knows the character of God. And here's a character of God. It's called the sovereignty of God. He is in absolute control over everything. We believe that, don't we? Mind me, uh, he fulfills his purpose for Is that the ESV there? Uh, NIV. Or it's NIV, ESV is saying the same thing in it. I didn't hear your... Very close yeah, to that, wasn't it's, it? It's fulfilling his purpose. purpose. Yeah. Uh, he's going to do it. He's going to accomplish it. He's going to fulfill it. This is going to be done, without a doubt. God it's going to be finished, perfected. God most high, El Elyon. El Elyon. Yeah. Yep. Before is that I, what it says there? Yeah. Before I realized it and understood that God was in control of everything, I thought that I had to fulfill this purpose for mm-hmm. I'm with you, man. You got a lot of brothers and sisters that were there too. I am so thankful that I know a little bit more than what I did from the outset of knowing that everything is in control of Him, by Him. He's not just throwing it out there hoping that this will work. I think it will for the most part, but there's some things that God can't do. You know, it's all on, the rest on, on you. If that be the case, He'd be an absolute failure. God cannot fail at any time. That's right. You know, the little things that we go through, my, if He can create like that, certainly He can handle my situation here, right? Yeah. So Saul is in a high position. He's king. He's the king of the nation. But God is the Most High, or the El Elyon, 
the Most High God. And without God's permission, Saul is not going to touch David here. Although it sure seems like it. I mean, the possibility is incredible. (laughs) He's in a place he can't get out. But yet God's finger is in all of this. So he's not limited at all. Let's uh, look at uh, Psalm 138 while you're in the Psalms. 138, verse 8. The Lord, or Yahweh, will accomplish what concerns me. Will accomplish. Does fulfill His purpose? Right? Okay. That's what I I was thinking probably was. What's that? I think probably in the in the Hebrew, this is a word for word translation. They're pro- what they're doing is it probably all kind of goes together uh-huh. in that, but uh, that that helps out to see that, doesn't it? What concerns me? Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. And he says, "Do not forsake the works of your hands." <laughs> Just reminds him of what he's done, you know, and all these promises. Um, that idea of of accomplishing his purpose, or you know, that phrase that we're looking at there, it comes from a root word that means to bring to perfection, to perfect, and then to cease. To perfect and then cease. What's the idea of that? Once one a business is is performed its its work and what it's supposed to do, it's then perfected. Okay, and what what it's doing. If if you go about whatever you're you're out to do, then you've come to the very point, and then it it dis, uh, ceases from working. It goes all the way to the point of it's done. You see what that is? That's the completion of it. It's kind of like what Jesus did on the cross. Right? It is finished. Yeah, Park. There's a notion here, tell me what you think about this, where it says, um, He fulfilled His purpose for me. This says, You kind of be rendered from the Hebrew who avenges me. To me, that changed the meaning. Actually, the next verse, I think times you guys think you'd use that verse? Romans 8.28. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's hard to get away from, isn't it? And matter of fact, that's probably a theme verse for this whole thing here too. Yeah. But it could be applied to us, but I guess what I was getting at to try to make myself clear, it, it's sort of a an overriding theme of our purposes, of God's purposes being fulfilled in us in our whole life. And then you take that and 
part and parcel of, you know, like each day there's, a, there's an element to it that he's fulfilling. There's circumstances, there's situations, there's, you know, his providence is playing out. His will is playing out. None yeah. of it's by accident. Yeah, none of it's by accident. And it's like the puzzle pieces are all going into the, you know, to make the complete picture for the end, and, and then he completes it. That's good. Tapestry. There you go. Yeah, the Grand Weaver. We can't see it from our angle. Stitching it together. We can close up on it. We can see the picture. Some of the threads in the tapestry, you know, are black. Pretty. Yeah. There may be other parts that you know stand out, and that piece of thread looks more pretty. You know, none of it makes sense when it's just by itself. But then when you see the whole tapestry, it all. That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, he will perfect what concerns he has. Payment, this is what Flavel said, payment is the performance of promises. Payment is the performance of promises. Then he says, grace makes the promise and providence the payment. Providence. That that performs that payment. Okay? Providence does. You know, grace makes the promise. Something I think is so um, God fearing is the fact that, you know, David I mean he he's been promised that he's going he's the been anointed to be king, you know, at some point. But he never brings any of that up. He doesn't talk about himself being well wait a minute God you know, you know I'm in a cave here and you know you said I was going to do you know what I'm saying he doesn't draw attention to himself that way like but he knows the promises you know you know the deep under yeah the, the, yeah he just trusts that what God said back then when he was little God is yeah it's good so but he doesn't you know, complain or, or put himself like you know. It's even when you know he he spares Saul's life in those other incidences because he regards God mm-hmm. and what God is doing, not that he takes it into his own hand and tries to. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. When it all came down to it. <laughs> well. Uh, you have so many attributes. Sometimes you might run out of words or thoughts in prayer, and sometimes just taking scripture. You've heard a scriptural prayer. Yeah. Here we see um, we see grace or mercy. We see taking refuge, the shadow of His wings, God Most High, the the, the powerful God, the one who perfects things. Uh, he will reproach. Trample down the enemy, uh, loving kindness and truth. That's all in verse three. I mean, you just keep reading on. I mean, this is giving a very high view of God. Is what David had here, and then you look at this, and we know that you guys are talking about everything he's working throughout our lives, right? And not only the great and the most important, or the visible ones that anybody that can pick out and say, "Well, there's a there's a big point in in my life, and here's what he did here, and wow, fantastic." But we're talking about some of the most minute, the most ordinary affairs of our lives that we have, and he's managing those. I mean, it touches all things, nearly or remotely. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Serving God. That's what I've got to do. wrote of the. Uh, the efficacy of providence. Uh, it's efficient. Uh, it accomplishes what it begins. As we were saying, He performs it for us. Uh, no difficulty. It will ever clog up anything. Uh, he, he carries designs that He has through in, in all things. Uh, what are the works of providence? Well, it's the execution of God's decree. When God makes a decree, that means He says something, it's going to happen, and then he executes it. He executes it by providence. The execution of God's decree. 
fulfilling His Word, right? Uh, there's nothing but good to all of us Christians. Nothing but good that will come out of everything in God's purposes. Now, the things we might be going through or have to deal with may not necessarily be good. And it says, oh, this is really good. And I mean, you know, some of the worst things would be happening to you. But at the same time, He's going to work that together for good. You know, it may not be a good thing. It might be a bad, bad thing. Horrendous. But He's going to work it for good. So it uh, really helps to, to know that. And of course, that's what David's doing here. And it's a duty of Christians. And this is what Flavel really hammers on throughout his whole book to concentrate on the idea of providence of God and how He's worked in your life. How He has done things. And not only the great big things, but even the small things. Recount that. Think of those things. And then think of, of the scriptural things that are, that are here. Look what he did with David. Look what he did with Daniel or Joseph or Paul. Or Think of any biblical character. You know, and we see how uh, he, he works through there. So a, a concentration on that is so helpful. That's, that's the duty. We have a duty, a command to reflect on God's providence. Uh, Isaiah 26.12 says, Lord, Thou also hast wrought all our works in or for us. Did you catch that? All our works. He's worked that. That's right. Wrought all things. Worked everything. So preserve the the memories of some of those things in, in, in your lives. The remarkable providences. And some of the ones that not necessarily are. They're, they're precious treasuries that we had to draw from. These are our riches. They're, they're treasures. Um... Look at Exodus 17. Exodus 17, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial, and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is my banner. And he said, The Lord is sworn, the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. He will take care of them eventually. What does God say to Moses? Write this in a book. Write it down. Get it to where it will not be forgotten. You will know. People will know. And then he built an altar. He built on all over the place in Israel. There were places like altars built, uh, and not necessarily uh, to fall down and worship them. That can be idolatry. But we're talking about something they would remember—a memorial, right? We have we have memorials all over the United States and in parks and such, you know. And it it tells something of the history. It keeps our memory going on certain things. Otherwise, we'd forget. Uh, the heritage that we have of this nation is incredible. It's good to know what the history of this nation is, what how God worked in that. That was providence, you know. Look, otherwise, what if what if there never was America discovered as as we know it yet today? Where would we have been born? Would we have been born? You know. Well, God has that in control. I'm glad He does. But um, and then He says, "The Lord is my banner," or Jehovah Nisi, or Yahweh Nisi. God, you see the the capital uh, letters L O R D. Lord is my banner. He's my victory. Right, and waves over. Uh, when you think of Mordecai and Esther, they took all the care to perpetuate to keep that memory going of what God did for them as He saved that nation. And what they did is that they uh, ordained a feast by the name of Purim. And so when the Jews celebrate that, they remember, uh, it's like an anniversary, um, what happened. As um, They would remember that. They, they carried that on. It's been a memorial for them to um, that they didn't perish. God kept it up. Um, Genesis 28.19 Here you have Jacob. 
Jacob has a dream. And uh, it says in verse 18, Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. He called the name of that place Beth-El. Now, El we know means God, don't we? Beth is house. You've heard of Bethlehem? Bethlehem? Lehem? Bread? House. House of bread. That's where Jesus was born. Well, Bethel is the house of God. This is where Jacob sets this pillar up. Previously, the name of the city had been Luz. I like Bethel a lot better, don't you? Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and I'll keep me on keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. <laughs> this stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, the house of God. And of all that you give me I'll surely give a tempting. Because I think some of the stonework they did these altars, they, I mean they don't look like all carved out, perfectly shaped. They're pretty rough looking. They're like two boulders. Yeah, they set them up. Well, as as you continue a memorial, and and everybody sees that, and they would teach that, they'd make sure that they would know what that was. It was just as as it was handed down. So it was important. That's why they they put something physical up so they would know. Sometimes they'd be pretty big boulders, but in this case, I don't know how big it would be. But uh, that that's a big deal, and to this day, we we're still reading about that. Um, matter of fact, some of these things have been discovered different places uh, throughout uh, Israel and such. Um, when we have my memory, sometimes, boy, I tell you, I, I don't have a good memory in a lot of ways. <laughs> I'd love to, but I, I forget easily, and so it's. Our memories, all of us, can be short and and imperfect sometimes when we compare to heaven. You know, the memories and reflections that that can be that's dealing with coming from heaven is perfect, you know. But coming from our angle, being humans, uh, we definitely have present disadvantages because of um, the matter of sin that affected so much of us every part of us got affected somehow by sin we don't have the brains that we would like to have we don't have the the memory in this case but even as much as we can remember out of what God has done you can remember how probably how God saved you or during a a time period a space you may not be able to detail it some of you can you can go right down to the very detail and you know where God put that but how he worked with you even when you weren't uh, a believer and then um, became a believer and the more you walk with God, the more you you think about what He's done in, in your life, what He's done in Scripture here, and you just think of those things. So you're talking with Him. You're, you're walking with Him saying, hey, of course, I don't think it, it would probably be proper to say, do you remember God? When <laughs> Does God remember? He knows all things, right? He doesn't forget, does He? Does He? So anyway, it's sweet communion with Him whenever we're thinking of the things that He has done specifically. And so therefore, as He says, praying always, that's some of the things that we're doing. We might be thinking of some of the attributes at the time. So that's going, praying always, isn't it? Thinking of God and how He works in not only your life, but other lives that are around you and how He's put things together. and Nothing's by accident. So, just even the situations where you live, who you live with, uh, who your mom and dad is, or who your children are, who your friends are, yeah, relatives. About the mundane, or maybe thinking of parents. How do you think about that your parents were important? Who your parents were? That was a plan that God even put together and stuff like that. So many of us have parents that aren't believers and stuff like that. So it's kind of hard. You kind of sit and understand, what was that all about? You know, right. He's given me those parents and stuff like that. But even that was what his purpose. Incredible. Well, let's let's do some of that. Matter of fact, I had uh, that on there, but um, the evidence of providence, nobody can deny it. Um, 
how about when Jesus was born? You think of the incarnation. How about Simeon being there at that time that he gives the prophecy? Or oh, yeah. Anna, yeah. right? It just happened to be there at the right time, the perfect time. Uh, Providence does that, brings us witnesses to it. Reformation. The Reformation that started in the um, 1500s, 1600s. It had already been at work, but um, it's interesting about the Puritans as they were in Holland. And it's amazing, the images. The Puritans, that's one of the things they wanted to do was pull out the images that that were in the church. All the different things. You think of the Roman church, right? And all those things in there and where they have the tabernacle and that's there's the bread and uh, Jesus is... That's the very flesh and blood of Jesus where they have... You know, all those things. You know, that's what they're saying. And the Puritans wanted to purify that. Get it out of here. It doesn't belong here. Those are false. That's idolatry. They wanted to take all the idols out. And it's interesting... The same spirit of zeal possessed everybody in every city and town there that the work was done in a night. That's an amazing thing. They didn't have the internet like we do today. (laughs) Or phones. But uh, that's an amazing thing. How about Joseph? I mean, you can't talk about providence without talking about the advancement uh, to be really the Pharaoh's right-hand man. You know, everything had to be set up. One of those breaks down and you don't have that happen. The You know, the coat, his brother's jealous. They take him and throw him in the pit. Along come some people. They buy him out. They take him to Egypt. He's not killed there like they wanted to, but he's, he's saved and so he uh, winds up in Egypt. But he winds up, uh, you know, of course, uh, in in jail, prison for, was it 13 years? Right? And you can say, boy, you know, how's God in that? Right? Well, of course He is in it. Of course, every detail, just so detailed, every one of those has to come into play and God designed that. Uh, exactly the time, the place, the people that, that uh, had to be working in order on that. So I have to think of Ephesians as We've been thinking of Old Testament. Well, the God of Providence is also in the New Testament. You think of those stories, though. They're easy to pick out in the Old Testament. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, and after chapter 1 is such a blessing telling our position. You guys ever want to be blessed and, and you really need some encouragement? You read verses 3 through 14 and then you read the prayer 15 through the rest of the the, the chapter and I'll tell you it's all God it's all God it starts blessed be God you know Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world I'm not going to read all this alright that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love He predestined us to adoption of sons through Jesus Christ Himself according to the kind intention of His will, right? To the praise of the glory of His grace which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved, in Christ. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us. We keep on going, right? Then He he does the prayer. We go into verse 22. I hate to stop. It's getting good, right? But He does it all. It's all Him. Do you see anything? I did this. No. He did this. In verse 22, And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him, that's Christ, God gave Him, as head over all things to the church. We have Him. He gave Him to the church. He's head over all, which is His body, the fullness of, of Him. We complete Him who fills all in all. But it's all about Him. It's all about His glory, His grace, His goodness. You see that? He put all things in subjection under His feet. He is the head of the church. The evidence of providence. Wow. So many mercies to the people of God. They go all the power of natural causes. It's amazing. Natural causes and then comes these mercies of God 
in, in providence working like that. Um, go to Isaiah fifty one fifteen. Are we getting a high view of God? All from his word, isn't it? Fifty one fifteen. For I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is His name. Mm-hmm. He talks about He covers us with the shadow of His hand. Um, go to Daniel 3, 22. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? We'll just use a... They're in the fiery furnace, right? For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The fire got those men who had carried them in. That's how hot it was. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. And we know the result of all that, don't we? They didn't burn up, but other men did. God was in that fiercest of wicked men, and He can keep us from the fiercest of the wicked of men. Uh, you have Jeroboam, who had these hands dried up and made inflexible when he was getting ready to stretch it out against the man of God. Um, you think of the story of Daniel. And how he was raised up being a Jewish teenager. And there he is counseling the kings. He he lived longer than all the kings. And he just kept going and, and he was there all the way to the, the end. Or you think of Paul when he was Saul. Saul was not looking for God even though, because he thought he already had Him. He was looking for Christians to persecute and kill. And look what God did there. He can use the most powerful means to destroy things that come up against His people. And those things can be very ineffectual. So it's very powerful. Um, God keeps His people from falling. Look in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. we a lot of prophets tonight, aren't we? Jeremiah 10, 23. Look at this now. I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it a man who walks to direct his steps. Who directs our steps? Well, according to Proverbs, which everybody knows that one. Now, this Jeremiah is not so well known, is it? I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself. It's God. Nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. Now we go to our Proverbs 16.9. Let's see how this works out. The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The Lord is the one directing our steps. Even though, yeah... He has designed us a certain way and we can tend to go a certain way and it can be right if we're seeking His will or it could be wrong, but I will tell you that He will make sure that He will get you in that right path. And the rod he, and staff. The rod and staff. Um, Jericho being delivered by people just marching around the city. They have a band out in front. They have these trumpets. And the walls go down. (laughs) And they defeat the whole city. Who would have thought? How could that ever happen? That's our God. Man, that is a powerful God. How about Gideon and his 300 men with pitchers and lamps? God keeps His people. Laban and Esau, they came against Jacob even though Jacob was a deceiver. How about Balaam? Remember Balaam? 
You know, he wanted to curse Israel. Look at Numbers 22. Twenty-two, verse twenty-five. A little reminder to us: when you think of Balaam, what else do you think of? The donkey. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed herself to the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. The angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right hand or the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with his stick. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Balaam's going to answer Then Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a mockery out of me. If there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do so to you? And he said, No. (laughs) Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed all the way to the ground. There's more. God intervenes. Those are big time stories. We're we're familiar with those. You have to go to uh, Saul, who later became Paul. We go to Acts 9. And we'll just read the first four verses. There's so much. Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up, enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, I guess, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. It wasn't a donkey. Saul got up from the ground and through his eyes were open. Though his eyes go, he could see nothing. And leading him by his hand, brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Saul wasn't looking for this, wasn't trying to make it happen on his own, trying to discover God. That wasn't what he was doing. God intervenes. God is the one who intervenes. Who can fail to see the finger of God right, in all these things? Matter of fact, how often is it in the nick of time? Abram, Abraham is getting ready to stick his son. The sacrifice, right? That's Isaac. And as he is being lifted, all of a sudden, what did he see? Ram caught in a thicket. Horns caught. God working again. That was Jehovah Jireh. God provides. Yeah. There is no coincidence. And what do they teach in the schools? It was a coincidence how people got created. How they got here. They didn't get created. It just happened. (laughs) Exactly. That's the idea. And then you think of Haman. You know, we thought we're talking about Mordecai and Esther. The very gallows, I guess, that he was building for them to be hung on, the Jews, and trying to demolish the whole Jewish race, is the very gallows that he was hung on. How interesting how God works. He's in all the details. You can. What's that? Yeah. All right. Oh, it's it's time to stop. But uh, you think of your birth in the womb. You turn to Psalm 139. Everybody probably knows that that whole chapter. I mean, how we were formed, how He gently just made us, just the way that He wanted. 
the very place where you were born, the time of your birth, all of that was decided by God. In every ounce of the detail, you could have been, I could have been born in a land where there is pagan idolatry. That's all that lives. Heathens, you can think of the Muslim world where it's it's hard to see a Christian and if they live it out too much, they will probably be in jail or dead. And we know that uh, when, actually it's interesting, but this John Flavel, when he wrote in the 1600s, talked about the Mohammedans, which is Islam. And he listen to this. You would think this was present day. He says, he's talking about Arabia bread, uh, B-R-E-D. Uh, not only Arabians, but the Persians and the Turks, the Tartans, they do all bow down their backs under that grand imposter. Of course, the grand imposter ultimately is who? Satan. This poison has dispersed itself through the veins of Asia, over a great part of Africa, and a circumference of 7,000 miles, and does not stop there, but has tainted a considerable part of Europe also. That was in the 1600s, as he wrote about Islam. Isn't that interesting? Uh, mid to late 1600s I think yeah Uh, so what he's saying you could have been born that way of course if he wants to be a Christian he will as a matter of fact there are Christians that come out of um, Muslim right Uh, Carolyn was talking about family that you were born how you were raised you could have been somewhere else. You'd say, well, I don't know. I'm not too proud of my family. But listen, God used that family, those parents, uh, wherever you were at and, and uh, the time to to mold us. And of course, we know our conversion. That's not by accident. And it sure isn't because we were smart enough, was it? Or, you know, we're a little bit better than maybe our neighbors. But as we saw what happened with Saul, who became Paul, you know, it's amazing that that God would save anybody, but He does it all for His glory. And anyway, the jobs that we work, where we've gone to school, you think of all the different things in the different places and such. And in sanctification, the work of the Spirit who is in you, He's directing. It's the very counsel of His will. Ephesians 1.11. We'll stop right there. You ready? Ephesians 1.11. And you guys were talking about this in your ESV earlier. Also, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to His purpose who works all things after the counsel of His will.